All right, guys, welcome back. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's epistle to Philemon, and we're going to see, we're going to try to discover what is it, the message, the general theme of what Paul was saying to Philemon, and then we want to look at the practical nature of it. And that, in other words, what we ourselves can derive from this particular epistle. Now, I know that probably some of you looked at, and I did it intentionally, looked at the thumbnail that was associated with this particular teaching, uh, saying how that Paul was no Harriet Tubman. And this will relate as we deal with the uh, exegesis of the text in Paul's uh, uh, dealing with cultural instance of slavery. That is, how did Paul not so much as view slavery? He's not going to get into a lot of depth in slavery, but we're going to see Paul's actions as it does pertain to slavery. I don't want to get into that uh, too prematurely, but we will see how Paul acted in an incident of slavery, because this is what this letter for the most part is all about with reference to Onesimus, a slave, a slave who was owned. He was actually a runaway slave of Philemon, who was a disciple himself, a disciple of Paul. So this Philemon, we will see, is a believer. He is a Christian and also he is a Christian slave owner whose slave Onesimus ran away and Paul himself is sending him back to Philemon. But we'll deal with all of that as we get into this particular letter. All right. So uh, even though this was uh, kind of like clickbait in the thumbnail, it actually relates to the very nature of the epistle that Paul wrote to his disciple Philemon. All right. But before we actually get into uh, the, the letter itself, let's talk about this particular letter. So it is one of the uh, Roman imprisonment epistles. So Paul penned this letter to Philemon during his first Roman imprisonment. So uh, there were another, uh, a few other letters. I think the book of Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, uh, these were basically the first uh, uh, Paul's. <laughs> it's kind of difficult to me to say that. Roman imprisonment, his first Roman imprisonment, epistles that Paul had written during that time. All right. And so roughly we see this around 60 to roughly 63 AD. Now, let's talk about the nature of the letter itself or the purpose of the letter. It was written to Philemon, who was, as we just stated earlier, a disciple of Paul to the which Paul had made this particular disciple because Philemon was a native of Carlos, a native of Carlos. So we see this during the time which Paul was in Ephesus. So when we speak of Ephesus. We also understand that this was also in this particular region. And Paul had discipled this particular man during the time that he was in Ephesus for about the period of about three years. We we see this in Acts chapters 19 as well as 20. And so uh, Philemon uh, became a disciple of Paul. And this Philemon, as we will see, was a wealthy uh, landowner as well as, well as a wealthy slave owner. And that seems to be the idea. But the point is, he was wealthy 
and he had a number of slaves. And one of these particular slaves that he owned was Onesimus, who was a runaway slave. He was a runaway slave uh, from Philemon to the which while Paul was in his first Roman imprisonment, Paul had some sort of a contact with Onesimus and therefore Onesimus became a believer. All right. He became a believer. So he was a runaway. That is Onesimus was a runaway slave of Philemon who during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, Paul had evangelized and Onesimus therefore became a believer. And he also, uh, helped Paul or ministered to Paul in this Roman imprisonment. All right. Even though he himself was a runaway slave. So this is the setting for all of these things. Right. And so as we get into the book of Philemon, we will see that this letter actually becomes a request from the apostle Paul to the Christian disciple Philemon to release Onesimus to serve Paul in his imprisonment. So that's the basic idea of the letter. And we'll see other things as we work through this particular letter. All right, enough said with introduction to this letter. Now let's just simply get into the text of the of Philemon, which is basically, we call it one chapter, one chapter. And let's look at the richness that this letter provides us today in this very intensely personal epistle of Paul to his disciple Philemon. All right, Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker and to Aphia, our sister and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we basically have the greeting or the salutation of the letter that the Apostle Paul gives to a number of individuals, but predominantly to Philemon because he is the, the agent to whom the letter is actually given to. But there are certain greeting, greetings that Paul is given to a number of people. And we see that Paul, along with Timothy, notice to Philemon. So that's the primary recipient of the letter. And he calls him what? a beloved brother, as well as fellow worker. Now this is important, but we don't want to put a lot of time into this, but he is a Christian brother and a fellow worker of Paul in the gospel. So we can see by giving this salutation with respect to Philemon, we can see later on how, how this will be useful in Paul's request to Philemon. We won't get into it right now, but it is useful. Why? You're a fellow worker. And as a fellow worker, and I too am a fellow worker, even prisoner of Jesus Christ, help me in the work. That's why we'll see that being important. But even he continues to say to Aphia, our sister. Now, actually the Greek text does not say our our sister, it says, the sister. And we believe that this Althea is the wife, 
the wife of Philemon. And he also talks about Archippus, who is a fellow soldier. He is, he is also a co-worker of Paul in the gospel and he calls him a soldier. And I like that idea because it really lays even more so the idea of one who works alongside of Paul by calling him a soldier and then to the church that is in his house. So we also are able to see that clearly that this Philemon, because as we will see that he will have slaves, he will be a slave owner, but also his household is large enough to, uh, uh, to that a church can meet in his house. That's why he says to the church that's in your house. And oftentimes in the early Christian church, most churches were house churches. That is, they didn't have separate buildings that they would gather in. This would come later on in the formal establishment of the church and increased wealth of individual congregations. But they would have certain uh, members of the body of Christ who would have certain resources, large enough homes, and Christians would congregate in their homes. And this was such with Philemon. As a wealthy disciple of Christ, his household was large enough to, to be a meeting place for other Christians. And then he continues to say grace and peace. This is the normal uh, greeting or salutation, grace and peace from God, our father. And then he says the Lord Jesus Christ. And by saying the Lord Jesus Christ, he speaks of uh, of Christ in the sense of that divine nature of Jesus. So as Jesus is God, that's the idea when he says, Lord Jesus, Lord re with respect to Jesus from the divine perspective, Jesus as God and Christos with respect to Jesus humanity as being the Messiah, the one who should come into the world in human form to do the things that were written according to Old Testament scripture that the Messiah should do, okay? So he gives the salutation and this letter being uh, sent to Philemon, he continues to say, verse number four, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have, you know what? Let me stop there. So now he begins to give uh, uh, in verses four through seven. He, he basically gives a commendation concerning Philemon in Paul's pleasure. So Paul is speaking in a very positive way concerning Philemon when he says he makes mention of Philemon always in his prayers in how he hears about his love and his faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ as well as all of the saints. He hears that Philemon is doing well in his practical life. 
how he lives shows his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and how he lives towards the saints also proves his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in the love that he has for Jesus in the love that he has towards all of the saints. So the point here is the practical nature of Philemon's Christian life. He is not simply professing to be a Christian, but he is living as a Christian. And this life is indicated. This love for Jesus, love for the saints is indicated by what he does towards the saints of God. And so he continues on and says how he prays for, and verse number six is a difficult one in the Greek. Uh, and I don't want to get into a lot of the Greek text, but I will make no notation of it when it says that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing, which is in you as it's translated, uh, in the NASB, uh, and I'm using NASB 95 for Christ's sake. And this is not the best of translations because actually in verse number six, how that the fellowship of the faith of you and the works might become uh, 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 in the knowledge of every good thing uh, such, and here's where it says, Pantas Agathu to ain mean that is not which is in you, but in every good thing that these things that are in us in Christ in Christ. So here, when it translates here, and the only reason why I went there, because it says uh, that the fellowship of your faith uh, may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing, which is in you. The Greek text actually says, which is in us for Christ's sake. So the idea is not so much that he has fellowship that is that goes with the apostles concerning those things that is in Philemon, but having fellowship with the apostle Paul, having fellowship with the apostle Paul as Philemon grows in intimate knowledge in Christ Jesus in every good thing. So that's the idea that verse number six is giving that common fellowship that Philemon Paul is praying and thanking God for this, having this common fellowship with the apostle Paul in every good thing, a common good thing that he is sharing with the apostle Paul. And that's the idea of verse number six, because as he brings out this common fellowship with Paul as Philemon being what a fellow worker along with Paul, he's going to begin to establish certain other things. And that's what we're going to talk about in verses seven and beyond. And what is that, that Paul is going to speak of that establishing also of every good thing, also of what that he has in common with the apostle Paul. What is he going to build on? Verse seven, for I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ 
to order you to do what is proper. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now also prisoner of Christ Jesus. So now he begins, he's working towards the reason to why he has written the letter in the first place, but he continues on to speak positively concerning Philemon in verse number seven. What? He has joy and comfort in his love. Why? Reflecting on how Philemon has acted and behaved towards other saints. So again, Philemon's Christianity is not one that is vocal. It is not something that comes from his mouth, but one that is seen in his behavior and how he shows love towards the saints. You see that how the saints have been refreshed through him. And again, how Paul calls him what brother that indeed Philemon is a saint. This is important. What? Therefore, I have been, I have enough confidence in Christ in, in to order you to do what is proper. So in verse number eight, therefore much confidence that he is having in Christ. He uses the term, he says, uh, he uses the term to order, to order, epitasane, epitasane, to order you, uh, this is a very strong Greek word that he used, epitasane. I want to make sure I pronounce that uh, correctly. To order you to do what is proper, to do what is uh, that which is expedient, that which is the good. And that's the idea. So Paul begins to say to Philemon, all right, as Paul the apostle I have the authority to command you to do that which is good, that which is expedient, or as it is translated here, that which is prosper, which is, I'm sorry, which is proper for you to do. So he uses strong language when he begins to say to Philemon, as the apostle, I can command you to do certain things. Now, what Paul has not spoken of yet, but he is simply relating that he has the apostolic authority to say to Philemon to do these things. And it is Paul's expectation that Philemon will do these things. So once again, let me say this. So that's what he is saying to Philemon. So let me say this from the practical nature, what we can understand too, that there is a spiritual obligation that believers have to those who are over them in the Lord. And that's what kind of uh, the thing that the book of Hebrews, the right of Hebrews, who we believe to be the apostle Paul, according to tradition. But nevertheless, that the right of Hebrews in chapter 13 says that those who are Christians should obey those who have the rule over them. So this brings in the sense of subjection that believers have to those who are in spiritual authority. So that's a practical teaching that we see here, but let's go back to the text. But what Paul is saying here is as the apostle, 
Philemon, he can order. He can literally order, strong verb, Philemon to do something. But nevertheless, he appeals in from the perspective, he appeals to Philemon from the perspective of Paul being an old man and even what? An old man who is in prison. That is that first Roman imprisonment that we told you guys about. The prisoner of Christ Jesus, who is now an old man, he simply says to Philemon, well, kind of do something and help the old man out. One who is working for Jesus, and you can see this work in that he, he himself, speaking of Paul, is now being a prisoner. So you can see he's kind of touching the emotions of Philemon, and he is touching the sympathies of Philemon for him to do something in particular. What? And we're getting getting into verse number 10. And then that's when Paul is going to begin to say exactly what it is he wants Philemon to do. Now, let's get into verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, uh, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is both useful useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. So let me stop right there and we're going to look at this. So what does he say? He gets into the very root of why he has sent this letter and this letter. Now what you need to see, the beauty of this letter is coming. It is that it comes from the, uh, uh, by the hand of Onesimus himself. So as Paul is making the request to Philemon uh, uh, on behalf of Philemon's runaway slave, Paul sends Onesimus, Philemon's runaway slave, back to Philemon with this letter in his hand. So the slave is giving the letter from Paul to Philemon. And so Paul is saying, I am beseeching you on behalf of Philemon. And look at the tenderness with by the which Paul refers to Philemon. He called, I'm sorry, that he calls Onesimus. He calls Onesimus uh, his child. And what also does he say is he has begotten him in his imprisonment. Or in other words, Onesimus has come to faith in Christ Jesus. He is now a fellow believer in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Paul discipled Onesimus sometimes during his imprisonments, during Paul's imprisonment, as we've been talking, telling you about Paul's what? His first Roman imprisonment. And so Onesimus has gotten slave by having some kind of contact with Paul and Onesimus has become a believer. So what is the case? Onesimus ran away 
from Philemon, his Christian master. And he has come to Paul in this contact with Paul. Onesimus has now become a believer and is now ministering to Paul. And notice how Paul puts it. He's ministering to Paul on behalf of Philemon. That is, and that's when you see it, uh, whom I wish to keep to keep with me, verse number 13, that on your behalf, he might minister to me. See it? That is, so Paul is saying what? In the, you're in the service, uh, Philemon, the Christian service that you owe me. See, again, what do we see? The obligation of Christians to those to be in submission and even in service even in the service of Christ, there is, and I don't want to get too bogged down, but what we can see is when we are brought into uh, discipleship, when we get saved by the works of others, other people, the gospel, they teach the gospel, they minister the gospel, or they tell us about the gospel and we get saved. We get saved and say, for instance, they may even continue in their service of the gospel, teaching us, strengthening us. There is an obligation that each disciple owes the one who serves them in the gospel. There is a duty that they owe. And so this is what Paul is saying to Philemon. You owe me a spiritual obligation of service. And since you yourself cannot give me this service personally, I am extracting the service that you owe me through your slave Onesimus. So therefore he is fulfilling the duty that you owe me. So notice the wonderful principle of service that we can see that every Christian owes. When you get saved, it does not stop there. You owe continued service to Jesus Christ in some way or another, whether it's through the one who was instrumental in saving you, that is, whoever preached the gospel, whoever is serving you, your pastor, your spiritual minister, you owe some form of service. You owe a debt. You are indebted to continue in serving such a one in doing such thing. But let me continue. The Lord will give you wisdom and you'll understand what I'm saying. But let's go back to the text. But Paul says in verse number 11, what? That Philemon at one time was once useless, but now through the sovereign act of God and saving this Onesimus, I'm sorry, Onesimus, the runaway slave, he is now useful. Notice he is useful what? To both Paul and he is useful to be seen. And we'll see this, Paul talks about this. He'll build on this later on. He is also useful to Onesimus because what? Paul will later say, because of the new spiritual status that he has, but I'm not going to get into that now. But anyway, but Paul's primary point, and I'm keeping an eye on the time guys, his primary point is what is that I am sending this letter to you Philemon 
because I want to keep Onesimus, your runaway slave, in service to me on your behalf. But I did, and I, as the apostle Paul, I could have done it. That's what he's trying to say. I could have ordered you to do this since I am Paul the apostle and you owe me this spiritual service. I could have ordered you to do this and I had every expectation that you would have obeyed my order, but I didn't want to appeal to you in this way, but I wanted to appeal to you in a kindly way, even in an emotional way. Paul, the old man and prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I didn't want to compel you to do this, but I wanted to ask you, will you give me Onesimus, your slave to serve me? I wanted to do this with your consent because without your consent, I didn't want to do anything. I wanted this gift to be from you, a voluntary gift, not something ordered by me as Paul, the apostle, which I could have done. Okay. But now let's continue. I don't want this to get too long. Uh, so now, uh, Paul begins in verse number 16 to deal with reasons why, uh, Onesimus may have run away from Philemon. He doesn't state the exact case why it was, but spiritual reasons why verse 15 for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So he begins to say, he begins to kind of speculate to say, well, maybe Onesimus ran away from you, not so much that uh, 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 he just ran away from you to be separated from you forever, but he ran away from you so that these spiritual conditions would take place. That is, Onesimus would be, would be saved. He'll run into me, the apostle Paul, I give him the gospel, he become a believer, and he would be saved, thereby changing the spiritual status of Onesimus, simply being a runaway sinner slave at one time, no good to his master Philemon. But now Onesimus has been changed. He is a fellow believer and therefore he is what? Good to minister to help me as well even more beneficial to you. Why? Because he now comes back to you, not simply a slave, but a slave who is a believing brother. So therefore he lives and his response to you will be different. Remember how Paul would even say like in letters like Colossians that to slaves, that they should be obedient to their masters, not as uh, uh, pleasing the eye and men pleasers, but as pleasing Christ from the heart that you will give obedience to your master as even giving service, uh, 
uh, to Christ Jesus himself. And Peter also speaks of it in that way. So Christian slaves in obedience to their masters would really give a beautiful service because they would be serving their masters as if they are serving Christ Jesus himself. So Paul speaks of it from this particular vein, but let's go back to the text. So he begins to say that to regard Onesimus in this fashion, not simply as a slave, but as a believing brother. Verse 17, if then, Paul continues, you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you in anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even yourself as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ Jesus. So let me just stop there. Uh, let me stop there. So what? He begins to say, so as you are receiving Onesimus, so you can imagine, so turn on the theater of your mind. Runaway slave Onesimus has come back with a letter and he gives it to his master, uh, uh, Philemon. And you can imagine the kind of uh, 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 ambivalent or, or uneasy feelings that Philemon would have toward this runaway slave. But as he opens this letter from Paul, the apostle who discipled him in the faith. And he begins to read these words, how that, that the ill feelings that Philemon would probably have toward Onesimus. And as Paul assuages these feelings with these words and says that however you might feel about Onesimus, your runaway slave, think of him in regards to as you would think about me. See him and receive him as you receive me. And if Onesimus in whatever has transpired in the past between you and Onesimus and he did something, maybe he stole something from you. But whatever wrong Onesimus had done to you, count that towards me. Put that on my account. If he took anything from you, if he stole that from you, I, Paul, I write this with my own hands. I will pay his debt. So whatever Onesimus has done, count it towards me, the apostle Paul says, but even more, and if he owes you something, now that's the idea. So notice how this idea trends its way through the very fabric of this letter, the idea of indebtedness. Now, Paul is talking about what? Material indebtedness, but notice how Paul works it out. If Onesimus owes you anything, I write it with my own hand. This is not the words of an amuensence, that is a person who uh, Paul dictates a letter and that person writes it down, no, Paul says, I write this with my own hand. What? I will repay any debt that Onesimus owes you. Anything that you have suffered materially, financially, 
I will repay it, Paul. And then he continues to say, note, he said, Paul brings his attention back to what? But note now, I also bring to your remembrance, Philemon, if you're thinking in your mind, he owes me this, he owes me that. And Paul has said that I'm going to repay it. Paul says, let me remind you what you owe me. Again, the idea of what? Spiritual indebtedness. What? It's because of God, that is, God used me to bring the gospel to you. And you, Philemon, heard that gospel, believing it to the, to the saving of your soul, and you received a gift immeasurable. You received something that you cannot pay for. It is worth all the silver and gold in the world. What did you receive through me? The salvation of your soul. That's why Paul says not to mention to you that you owe me. What do you owe me? Yourself. You owe me yourself. That is your salvation. So as Paul is speaking to uh, Philemon to remind him of his spiritual debt that he owes Paul, Paul is saying to him, understanding this this should cancel out whatever debt you think that Onesimus owes you that debt that I had just promised to pay. But let's continue on. Verse 20. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. And I already talked about that. That is, let him let Paul benefit, have the benefit of Onesimus service. This runaway slave. Let me benefit from his service, the service uh, Philemon that you should be giving me, let me have the benefit of Onesimus in doing so. That in the sense that what, and this is the mind of Paul, that once you receive this letter Philemon from your runaway slave Onesimus, you would set Onesimus free, free in the sense to return to me, Paul, in my Roman imprisonment, and Onesimus would continue in service to me. You see, I sent him, I sent him back to you once I discovered that Onesimus was a runaway slave and he told me his situation. What? I'm a runaway slave of Philemon of Carlos. And Paul began to say, Philemon of Carlos, that's my disciple then the right thing for me to do is to send you back. And that's why, and that's why God, let me stop there. What, that's why I put that thumbnail, what? That Paul was no uh, 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 Harriet Tubman. Whereas Harriet Tubman would take runaway slaves from the South and lead them into the North where they can be free of slavery and free of their masters. Paul did the exact opposite. He sent this runaway slave straight back to his master. And Paul is saying again, let's get back to the theme of the letter. And so I'm saying to you, Philemon, here is your runaway slave. Receive him back. If he owes you, I'll pay. But I'm reminding you, you owe me. But I'm asking you, send him back to me and let him serve me, minister to me, serve me in whatever manner that I need in the gospel while I'm in prison 
in a Roman imprisonment. So let me have his services. That's the theme of the letter. But let me continue on. Almost too long. 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I wrote to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, let's just go ahead and close it. Also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow prisoner, fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So he says in verse number 21, we're bringing it to the close. We'll finish the text. Let's bring it. Having confidence, all right, pepoithos, uh, that is a perfect tense verb that he is using in the Greek. That is, Paul already knows. That's why we translate it having confidence. Confidence, I already know what that you are going to do everything that I am requesting in this letter. So in the sense, in a sense, it's kind of like a matter for Paul a matter of etiquette, that is politeness. I should be polite as the apostle Paul to send this letter and request uh, that Onesimus be given uh, in my service on your behalf and not just assume uh, because I have the authority to do so and to use him in my service, even without your permission. But no, I want to do it with your permission. And guess what? Verse 21, I knew you would not only give your permission and blessing for the release of Onesimus into my service, but you will even do more than what I ask, even more than what I say. And so then he begins to say, as we reflect that what Paul was in his first Roman Roman imprisonment, that soon Paul expected to be released and he would therefore visit Carlos and therefore visit Philemon. He says, prepare me a lodging. Soon I hope to be out of prison and I'm going to come visit you, prepare a place for me to stay because I know that through your prayers, God will release me. And then he gives the benediction in his letter and simply says, all of those who are with me also gives greetings and he blesses him in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay. So let's wrap it up. So what did we see? What can we learn from the letter of Philemon? Number one, there are three things that we can see. There is a recognition of spiritual authority and the believer's obligation to those who are in spiritual authority over them as well as those who do spiritual service to them. That is, this is the recognition of spiritual authority. Remember how Paul came to Philemon, he said, I could uh, say as Paul, the apostle, I could command you to do what is proper, to do what is right, to do what you are supposed to do, to do what you know is right. You have, number one, I have certain authorities as the spiritual leader, as the apostle. So there are practical sense that we can see. And I've already talked about that. So we have as Christians, 
we are obligated to be in submission to those who have spiritual authority over us. And then we also see as a part of this point, obligation to people who bring us into the faith and minister and teach us and pastor to us, we have an obligation to these people. We have a continued spiritual obligation. What did Paul say to Philemon? I want to keep Onesimus to serve me in the, in the capacity that you owe me Philemon, you owe me service, but since you are not here to give me service, I'm going to keep Onesimus to give me the service that you owe. So the principle is those who are saved are indebted to those who do what? Who serve them. We have an indebtedness to them, not only in spiritual things, but even in material things. And that's the point that Paul was bringing. Second point that we can see in the book of Philemon, the Christian perspective of fellow believers. Remember, Onesimus is a runaway slave. Philemon is a slave owner. He is a slave owner. And so therefore, what is Paul saying? Paul said, as you would regard me, regard Onesimus. At once, he was un not beneficial to you at all, simply as an unsaved runaway slave. But now he returns to you in a different status. He is now a fellow believer in Christ Jesus. So therefore, even though, pay attention, Onesimus still is a slave, but he is still to be regarded as a Christian brother. So the point that he speaks to us nowadays is what? All Christians, regardless to their social or economic status, should always be regarded as equal. We are all brothers, regardless to how much money we got, what kind of houses we live in, the cars that we drive, regardless to whatever social or economic status that we have, none are to be regarded greater than or less than one another. We are all brothers and sisters equal in Christ Jesus. So that's another point. And now the third point that I want to bring about is, and this is a primary point that we often look, that is, Paul did not try to influence cultural norms. Okay, what do I mean by that? Remember when I put on, I told you about the, uh, the, 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 the bait, the thumbnail bait, that Paul was no Harriet Tubman, how that the Harriet Tubman would try to free the slaves. Paul did not uh, uh, see Christianity or Christian doctrine as a means of changing the issue of slavery. In other words, Paul did not say to Christians that slavery is wrong. Now, you might want to pause the video there, think about what I just said, and catch your breath. But nowhere in the writings of Paul did Paul ever say Christianity is, I'm sorry, slavery is wrong or against the concept of Christianity. Notice 
Philemon clearly is a slave owner. And notice having full opportunity at this time. Think about what I'm saying. If ever there was a time when Paul could have clearly unequivocally said slavery is wrong and as Christians, we should not engage, participate or do these things. If ever there was a time when Paul could have clearly stated this, it would be in this letter from what a runaway slave to his former slave master who was Christian. Both men are Christian, the slave and the master. Paul could have clearly said it here, but guess what? He did not. So therefore, Paul never tried to influence the cultural norms and neither should we. Paul did not say slavery is wrong. Why? He could have said it here, but he didn't. But what Paul was saying was even in slavery, when one become a Christian, we look at one another in a different aspect. Now that's what he said, but he didn't try to influence slavery or the cultural norms. But we do find like, for instance, in first Corinthians chapter seven, where Paul talked about that slavery as a whole, and we can understand this because of the fallen sinful state of men, slavery is to be considered negative. That is, if you can be free, if you can attain your freedom, it's best that you attain your freedom. But nevertheless, if you are found to be saved when you are a slave, think nothing of it. Don't, don't worry about it. I gotta be free, I gotta be free, or something needs to change. Paul says, don't worry about it. You can be, be a slave and still be a Christian, and this is no big deal, but it is preferable to gain your freedom if at all possible. But nevertheless, it's no big thing as far as that. So I go back again to my final point in this wonderful letter to Philemon, how Paul did not seek to change the cultural norm, what was acceptable in that day, which was slavery. So I end this video in saying, Paul was no Harriet Tubman. If there was a runaway slave, Paul did not do what many of you think was right to do. Take the runaway slave and make him free. Paul took that runaway slave and did that which was right and sent him back. And what did he say to Philemon? Without your permission, I would do nothing. He never sought to change that cultural norm. Thanks guys for joining me with that teaching in the book of Philemon. What a beautiful, intensely personal letter and so many wonderful things that we can understand from it. See you next time.